Hey guys, welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield, and we are back with another episode. This week, we are sitting down with Liesl Teen. She is the content creator and amazing labor and delivery nurse behind the blog, Instagram, podcast. Pretty sure she mentioned she's also starting TikTok, Mommy Labor Nurse. Now, I found Liesl on the Discover page and have been hooked on her content ever since. I get lost learning about everything, labor, delivery, pregnancy. She shares so much amazing information. And what I love about this episode is that how she phrases everything is like super comforting. So we talk about C-sections and multiple C-sections. We talk about getting induced, hemorrhoids, vaginal tearing, preparing for birth, just so much really, really helpful knowledge that I wish that I had before I gave birth to both Ezra and Brody since both of my deliveries were polar opposites, except for the fact that they came very, very quickly. But it's really helpful to hear from a professional what she recommends and her insights. And every time I've given birth, I've been very fortunate that the labor and delivery nurses have become like friends of ours. We actually had the same ones for like post-labor in the hospital for both Ezra and Brody, which was really cool and such a wild, special coincidence. But I loved being able to chat with her. I have a feeling you guys are going to be obsessed with this episode. If you know any moms or anyone who is pregnant, definitely send this episode their way. I just find the information, the way that Liesl phrases everything, very, very comforting. And her content is amazing. Definitely check out her Instagram, podcast, blog, all the things. She's an amazing reference. And I cannot wait to hear what you guys think. Please feel free to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying listening. And we'll be back with more soon. Well, Jordan, I was like, I'm so excited to interview you. Like, I was so excited when you had said yes, because I'm pregnant with our third kid. I've had like two wild birthing experiences. When I found your Instagram, your content is just like captivating to me. Thank you. Like, I always say, like, if I wasn't doing this, I wish I was smart enough to be an OBGYN because like, I'm that passionate about like, like birth and the female anatomy. I think it's so interesting. It is. It is. Yeah. And I've been binge listening to your podcast. Oh, thanks. It's so helpful. So insightful. And I was telling some of my mom friends, because like a bunch of us are all pregnant with like our either second or or third. And I said that I was interviewing you. They were freaking out and like own personal questions. (laughs) Perfect. Um, But this is my husband, Gordon. Hi. I think he's now following you as well on Instagram. Cool. Cool. We're going to dive right on in because I have, we have a lot of things to cover um, and I'm so excited. So I thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah. I'd love to start off by having you introduce yourself and tell the listeners who you are and and what you do. So my name is Liesl Teen. I am a labor and delivery nurse and the founder of Mommy Labor Nurse, where we equip pregnant women just like you, Rachel, with the tools, knowledge, and confidence that you need to erase the unknown and have an even better birth no matter how you deliver. You like my little one-liner that we came up with? Good yeah, <laughs> slogan you have there. That's my little slogan, yeah. Um, but yeah, I we do this most often, you know, most often on my Instagram page doing reels on there, creating content to get people really captivated and interested in what's about to happen. Because <laughs> it can be really, really scary, right? Not even just for first-time moms, but for second-time moms, third-time moms, anytime moms. Um, so yeah, I try to show people, you know, hey, 
this is what's going on with your body. This is how, you know, this might happen. This might not happen. And we've, I feel like, you know, the more that you're educated before going into your birth, um, the less likely you're going to come away from it with birth trauma. Um, the more confident you're going to feel going into it, the less anxiety you're going to have. So yeah, my main deal is Instagram. I also have the podcast and we have the online birth classes, my blog. We've got lots of resources. Now I'm just like, what should I do next? I got got my TikTok up. Like, should I really put emphasis in there or should I do a YouTube? I don't know. <laughs> Are you still practicing at a hospital? Or I am. I am. Yes. So I... I have switched my hours recently. I used to do mommy labor nurse pretty much through the week. And then I would do every other weekend at the hospital. But it got to the point where I'm like, I'm doing a 12 hour shift at the hospital and I'm working throughout the week. And it's like, wait a second, can I just reduce some of my hours doing mommy labor nurse stuff and like work through the week, you know, because it works better with my kids and my husband. Um, so now I'm at the hospital about once a week and I don't do 12 hour shifts anymore. I do eight and four hour shifts. So I'm considered what, uh, we consider it. It's called like casual. Um, or some people call it like, I don't know, like flex option or something. Um, but basically I just have to work 12 hours in a pay period. So I split mine up, um, eight hours and four hours and it works really well. It, it, I, I feel like it works even better with, my schedule now being there more often because you're there and you're there for eight hours. Being there for eight hours or four hours is a way different mentality than being there for 12 hours, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and you're just there more often. I felt like when I was there every other weekend, sometimes a policy would change or something would be different. And you're like, wait a second, I was doing this differently two weeks ago and you're just, I'm just there more. So it's just, I don't know. And I just let, you know, I'm like, I don't ever want to leave the bedside. It's just, there's something about that, that makes it, you know, you're like, uh, it, I like putting my hands like on a patient and actually practicing as a bedside nurse too. So it's a nice, I have a nice mix. Well, it's also like where your passion started and like, yeah, formed into this brand. So it's exactly have that like person to person interact, the interaction as much. Exactly. Exactly. I have to say, like during Rachel's two pregnancies, like the whole team of nurses, I'm sorry, during labor, the one during the C-section, one with the natural. Yeah. Like, it's just such an amazing team of like people who were around her. And it honestly made the experience like a lot nicer in a lot of ways. Cause like, it was like almost like a scene from uh, Grey's Anatomy where just like, yeah. it's all like rushing and do amazing things. It was really Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that because sometimes it's not that case at all. And I feel like it, it really can, you know, your experience and how you're treated uh, and how you're cared for, you know, wherever you get birth, if it's at the hospital or, or a birth center, um, it can really, really make an impact on so many things, (laughs) you know, but yeah, I'm glad to hear that, that you guys had good experience both times. I remember with, so I have two kids, a three and a half year old, and then an 18 month old. And yeah. I did a VBAC with my, with my second kid, which we'll dive more into. But I remember the nurse, I remember looking at Jordan and being like, can you tell this nurse to get the F away from right now? Cause she was telling you to breathe. And I was like, yeah. 
one plus three centimeters dilated without an epidural. Yeah. That's why I showed up to the hospital and I was like, get this woman away from me because she's telling me to breathe and I literally am crowning, like leave me alone. And then she ended up being my best friend, like 15 minutes. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. yeah. Don't tell me to breathe, just give me ice chips. Like, (laughs) give me everything I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to have. And then afterwards, like she helped me with my hemorrhoids. It was just, an amazing bond. And I actually ran into an old family friend who's a labor and delivery nurse at the hospital to the first time. Um, and we had the same nurses during both, during both oh, nice. like crazy small worlds, which yeah. was really, really special though. Um, so I'd love to start off and ask a few questions that have to do more with labor. Yeah. And a lot of these are a mix of like listener and Instagram follower questions. And then some of them are like personal questions that that I like, want to know in friends. Cool. So how do you know when it's time to go to the hospital? Yeah. I feel like a lot of women have no idea. Yeah. So I think if you've picked up a what to expect when you're expecting or, you know, Googled when to go to the hospital, a lot of people come across the general guideline of either a 511 or a 411. And that basically means that your contractions are about f- uh, four to five minutes apart that you've been having them for about an hour and they're lasting at least one minute in duration. And that very well may be the time that you need to head into the hospital. But uh, in my experience, I tell people to use that rule like as a loose guideline and to really focus more on the intensity of your contractions and also to con- take into consideration your history too. Like it sounds like Rachel, well, you said you had a C-section with your first one, but I have so many moms who are like, I actually went kind of fast with my first one. And if I had waited an hour, um, I, I, it, it would have been too quick. <laughs> so I always give the disclaimer of like, Hey, this is, this is what the books say and definitely follow this rule. But, uh, check out like check out what's going on with your intensity. Like what else is happening? Are you starting to puke? Are you starting to like really shake? Are you hurting so bad that you can't speak, you know, while you're having one? It did your mood completely, you know, change. That's it. That's a clear indication that like, okay, things are moving in the right direction because there's plenty of especially first time moms who they'll have contractions that are four or five minutes apart for a long time in that early labor stage. And maybe you'll say, oh, you know, I, I think I think this is it, you know, but I, I, I'm hitting the criteria and you'll go in. You're like, oh, I'm only two or three centimeters dilated. Um, and it can be demoralizing. You know, you come oh. in, you're like, I have to go home. Wait, like the books told me to come in at this time and and this, not any other. So I always give that advice that that think about the intensity more so than the time frame. What do you do when they tell you to go home? Because like with Ezra, I had a C-section. My water broke at 36 weeks. So I was like pretty like on ah. your side. And then with Brody on my duty, I like started to go into labor and I went to the hospital. It was like 1 PM. I said, I, I was like, I think I'm in labor. Like I'm having contractions. They weren't like the times, like they weren't consistent. Yeah. Um, I was only one centimeter dilated. So a resident sent me home. Mm-hmm. And I went home on the way home. We went to Whole Foods and I like looked at Jordan. I was like, I can't even walk. Like I'm in so much pain. Yeah. And then we drove all the way home. We were 40 minutes in the hospital, drove back, oh. came home and I labored, but didn't realize. Cause like with my first, it was a C-section. My water broke. It was so fast. I full on labored in my apartment for, I think it was six to seven hours. Like 
not realizing I was really in labor. And then I went back to the hospital and on my way back, my water broke in our apartment. I couldn't even move. My dad had to carry me into the car. Yeah. You know, and like I we're on our way to the hospital. We're at the light outside and I'm like hanging to hang. Like now I know why they have those handles on the ceiling. <laughs> I'm hanging yeah. the handles. I'm looking at Jordan and I'm not like very dramatic about most like like health related things. I'm like his head's coming out, his head's out. And I got there, there was blood all over our car, blood, like I'm trailing blood through the hospital and I'm screaming like, I was here a few hours ago, you mofos. Like I I delivered (laughs) with no bracelet. They didn't make me COVID tests. Like they literally threw me onto a bed. And I was, when I got there, I was 10 plus three centimeters dilated. But I knew I was in labor and they sent me home at one o'clock. Like what could I have done if like my intuition's like, I'm in labor, like don't make me go home. It's really tough because, yeah, it's really tough because in your case, yeah, I probably would have had you come in and you check the patient and they're only one centimeter dilated. And you're like, I mean, you can stay here if you want to for a few hours and see if things kind of progress. But even at one centimeter, it's it's more than likely that it's not going to It's not if you're going to change, maybe you'll change to like one and a half or two centimeters after that few hours. You know, maybe if you're two or three, if you come in and you're two or three and you're having some good contractions, especially if you're a second or third time mom, um, we'll say, yeah, like, let's hang out and see for an hour or two if if things really progress. But yeah, one centimeter, it's tough. Like I, I probably we probably would have sent you home or said, hey. This is this is what you need to like if you go home yeah. and and you're saying I can't like you were saying in Whole Foods, like you can't even walk like come come right back. It's OK. Just come on right back. <laughs> the resident was like, you're probably going to deliver it a week. You had a C-section. Yeah, no, 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 don't. We don't. Let's not say that. <laughs> so I for the third, like, now we live seven minutes from the hospital. I'm like I'm go, like I, this baby's going to fly out as I'm walking out of the car like. Brody came so like my I um, I delivered I pushed for ten minutes yeah yeah just, like fell out yeah um, that's crazy that's crazy yeah yeah it was pretty crazy yeah the the crazy thing though was like Rachel never got to that like five one one like her her contractions were very like fifteen minutes like, yep exactly that's exactly why I tell people like we're like we're like tracking them and like, Rachel you're not even close to these numbers like maybe you're just you know maybe you're just not as close as you think but. Now looking back, like the pain that she was in, yeah, in our room, like we definitely should have left it way yeah. soon. So I almost went unmedicated, and a lot of people were like also asking, like, "What are your tip?" I ended up getting an epidural. My doctor. Oh, did you have time? So when Barely? I I pushed, I pushed for ten minutes, and then uh-huh. I said, "I was like, I need an epidural." He's not coming out. Like, this is so painful. I've been yeah. thinking for hours now. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I looked at her and I was like, listen, I used to smoke a lot of weed. I need drugs. <laughs> like, I need something to calm me. Yeah. And my doctor's amazing. I held her so tight and she gave me the epidural. And she like, or had the anesthesiologist give me one. Yeah. So I laid back and he slid out. Like, I didn't even. Oh, I bet. Oh, I bet. This is amazing. But for women that want to go unmedicated like what are your tips for them when they're laboring to like bear with the pain yeah so many so that's why we have a really really great course called birth it up the natural series i i have like tons of tips in there because it's really so much of a mindset um shift and going you know unmedicated natural whatever you want to call it 
is uh, really what I tell people is 90% mental. So, you know, usually when you're maybe it's your first baby or you've been laboring for a long time, you'll start to think, oh, I've, I've been in labor for this many hours. I still have, you know, this many hours to go. Or maybe you've just gotten checked and you're only four centimeters dilated. I tell people, okay, first of all, like, don't think about the time frame. Just take it one contraction at a time, you know, and really contractions suck. But um, the more contractions you have, each contraction that you have is one less that you have to deal with and one closer to meeting baby, right? So yeah, so it's a lot of like mindset, mindset shifts like that. Um, One thing that I know I remember I did in my own labor with I don't remember if I did it with my first one, but definitely with my second one was this thing called horse lips. And it's basically like where you go like this like a horse, basically. And it's really, really great for unmedicated um, people who are interested in unmedicated birth because it relaxes your jaw really, really well. And it gives you something to focus on. Okay. And I almost did it very instinctively with, with my second one. I remember like it would, I'm thinking about the things that I teach people into my, in my course. And I'm like, I can't, the only thing I can think about is doing, going like this the whole time. Um, and the reason I bring the jaw thing up is have you ever heard the weird connection that your body has with your jaw and your pelvis? It's, it's if you are um, tense in your jaw, you're more tense in your pelvis. So a good way. Yeah. So a good way to um, prove to you that this is actually real is if you like purse your lips like that and then do a Kegel, you know how to do a Kegel, right? So and then like relax. So like purse and do a Kegel mm-hmm. and then relax your, you know, face and relax your Kegel and relax your vagina <laughs> and then do it again and keep your lips pursed and then try to release. And it should be a little bit harder to do. Like when you're like this, it's way easier to relax your pelvis when your mouth is really, really relaxed. It's the That's weirdest thing. Wild. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So that's what that's how I show people that, hey, your jaw actually has so much to do with your pelvis. So that's a really, really good one of that horse lips because it it naturally makes your jaw nice and loose. Now, going along with that, your jaw is important to relax, but your whole body is also very, very important to relax. So naturally, when we're in pain, like let's say you stub your toe or you, you know, hit your hip against the desk or whatever, your automatic reaction to that is, oh, you know, you tense up really bad, right? And I'm sure that you remember when you were in labor, you're probably like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. You know, you're grasping the, you're yeah, grasping the, back. yes, exactly. You're like, oh God. Um, And what I tell people is you actually have to try, it's so hard. <laughs> you have to try and relax your body as much as you can and just let that contraction come. Really, the more you can relax, the easier that it is for your pelvis to relax and let baby down. And um, it, it helps with progress. It also is something to focus on like, okay, I'm, I'm relaxing instead of stiffening. Um, what I told, this is like a tip that I told my husband to tell me during my second labor, because I have a lot of trouble relaxing because I'm naturally just that kind of person that I hold a lot of anxiety, like in my shoulders. And I said, honey, like 
The only thing that I want you to do is just keep telling me in a nice tone, right? Like it's not so nice sometimes when when your husband's like, relax, like chill out, you know, but just keep reminding me to relax, relax my shoulders, relax my limbs. And yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, it, again, it's so, so hard to do, especially when you're like nine, 10 centimeters dilated to relax with these contractions. But it's so like it makes such a difference, especially in your pelvis. If you can, instead of tense up at that contraction pain, relax to get relax with it and just let it come. It it's it's like crazy how different it is. Did you know that a child's brain is nearly 80 percent developed by age three and 90 percent by age five? How insane is that? When I first started solids for Ezra and Brody, they were about five months old, which means that the food and the nutrients from day one of eating solids is so key for their brain development. No pressure, no stress, I know. But that is why I've been obsessed with Sear Belly ever since I found them in stores. They're not loaded with sugar, they're actually nutrient dense, and they're fueling my kid. Sear Belly is the first science backed baby food brand that is created by a PhD developmental neurologist. That's like a mouthful for me to even say. Dr. Teresa Persner, and she also happens to be a mama three, so she knows what's up. Sear Belly contains 16 brain-supporting nutrients that are hard to come by for most children within their diets. Like the ingredients, some of their pouches, like my kids won't eat celery. They won't eat some of these ingredients that they're putting into the pouches, but they'll eat the pouches. It's amazing. And they actually have meaningful amounts of the nutrients in their products. They go through rigorous testing for their metals and toxins, which I'm sure you have learned this can be an issue for many baby food companies. Sear Belly not only sells pouches, but they also sell bars, which are a staple in my kids' daily eats. They love their bars. I love also adding their pouches to different recipes too, like pastas, or you can dip veggies and crackers in it. And everything is great for on the go. You can go into your pantry, your cabinet, grab some pouches, some bars, and take it and run. They're also made with nutrient-dense ingredients that taste amazing. Yes, I have had them too. The pouches and the bars, both phenomenal. And my three-and-a-half-year-old Ezra still requests a pouch every single night before bed. So they're not just for infants. And for any parents or guardians or cool aunts or uncles or grandparents or nannies or whoever that happens to be listening to this podcast right now and you want to order Cerebelli for your littles, Use my code RACHL20, R-A-C-H-L 20, for 20% off your Sear Belly order, plus you can get another 15% off with the subscribe and save option, which gives you a total of 35% off your order. I'm going to stop blabbling about Sear Belly now, but I think you get the point. Their stuff is legit, such high quality ingredients. I'm so excited about them, and I highly recommend you try them for your littles and enjoy them. Let me know what you think. Now back into the episode. And when do you, like, when's the latest you could decide to get an epidural? Like, I know technically my doctor, like, mate. About then. Yeah. <laughs> About when you got one. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So it really depends. So uh, what I tell patients is if the baby's not actively coming out of you, you usually can still get an epidural as long as you can sit still for one. So epidurals, you know, yeah, and they probably told you told you that in the hospital too. So epidurals, they go, you'll see you are barb, right? So they go, you know, right near your spine. 
And there's a lot of really, really important things in your spine. So, and there's a big needle back there. So if you're moving, um, bad things can happen. <laughs> so yeah. as long as you can sit there still for a few minutes as they can get that placement in that epidural space, uh, and your baby's not, you know, actively coming out of you. And obviously if everything else is stable, you know, if your blood pressure is crazy low or baby's not stable, then you can't sit up and get an epidural. Um, but most of the time, if you can sit still for one and your baby's not actively coming out of you and every, you know, your vital signs are stable and baby's stable, you can generally get one. It's not necessarily, some people think, oh, if you're already eight centimeters dilated or nine centimeters dilated, you can't get one. It's not really a number. It's more, it, I mean, some people can't get epidurals and they're six centimeters dilated because they're just, you oh, know, wow. all over the place. You know, you, it's really important to be, to be able to sit still. I almost am like happy I waited so long because I felt like such a warrior after that like I waited that long. Like I was like, I feel like I basically like had you did. natural delivery. You did. Um, yeah. 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 It was a lot. I just needed that extra, that extra push, but I was really fortunate that she. Yeah, the, I think the biggest thing was Rachel would like keep like pushing her legs in together. I couldn't, she, I couldn't relax. She could not relax her legs. It's like, so hard. Yeah. And the doctor was like every progress she made, she just like reversed it by like tensing. I buried my head in my doctor's boobs to stay Aww. still. Like it was like a life jacket along my head. Like I was like, I will, <laughs> I will do a hand, headstand if I have to, to get this, thing, whatever I need. But he flew out. Now I have a lot of friends that they're like 40 and a half weeks or they're like maybe 39 weeks and they're not having any labor symptoms, but they're really uncomfortable. So they're always like, I'm getting induced or I got induced. Like, what are your thoughts on getting induced for labor? Like, when is it an appropriate time? I'm sure that's like a loaded question because it's different for everyone. But when do you like know it's time to get induced? Yeah, it is a loaded question, obviously. So there was this study that came out. I think it was 27, 2018, something like that, called the ARRIVE study. And this study, it, it was like this huge national study. It actually was partially done at the hospital that, that I work at. Um, and it basically was, it was trying to track a few things. Uh, it, it, it was trying to see if we induce moms at 39 weeks, like electively without any medical conditions, does that uh, affect C-section rates? Does it increase a C-section rate? Does it keep it the same or does it decrease? And what they found was that it actually slightly decreased your risk for induction, which we're all as labor and delivery nurses saying, wait a second, that's crazy. Like it's a medical intervention. And we've kind of always thought that, hey, kind of the less we throw at you, usually the more likely you are to not have a C-section. Obviously, there's that's a loaded question too, right? Um, but the, yeah, the, the research showed that at 39 weeks, you possibly can have a lower risk for having a C-section. Uh, so now, as a result of that, a lot of providers, what they're saying is, hey, you've hit 39 weeks. If you want to have an elective induction, um, it, you know, this is what the research shows. Obviously, it's not for everyone. Um, but they're offering elective inductions at 39 weeks. Now, I would say the research also does show that it's in your best benefit to go into labor spontaneously. That, that serves a, you know, a big purpose, um, for just the whole labor process. So 
it's it's a really really tough question to to answer because I think it's so so individualized. And I would say if you are interested in getting induced, talk with your doctor. Uh, you, you know, you're if you hit 39 weeks, you don't have any medical conditions. You are usually a candidate for an elective induction. The other reason that moms typically get induced is they go too long after their due date, right? So you were saying some of your friends are 40 and a half weeks and they're like, oh, I'm thinking about induction. Uh, so that, I mean, technically it's not a it's not an elective induction. You've gotten to that point where you're, you, it depends on the practice, but some practices say, okay, we'll let you go to 41 weeks. Some practices say uh, 42 weeks because the research also does show that after a certain point, it, it is 41 weeks. Um, your placenta starts to age and it is in your best benefit to like, let's have this baby, you know? So yeah, it, it, it really is so individualized, though, too, because you have to think about other factors, too. Like, OK, I know so many of my friends who had their second babies or their third babies and childcare was like a huge stressor for them. And they're like, I just I really want to get induced just just so I know I know like when it's going to happen. You know, if it happens before that, it happens before that. But I know like, OK, this is the day that it's going to happen. I can make plans. I can schedule things. And it just reduces the anxiety that they have so, so much just to have that in place, you know? So for that purpose, like, it's great, right? It's just so, it's it's so individualized. And then you have another group of people who say, I really, really like the, the not knowing. You know, you're kind of waiting at the end and you just, you know, you're just waiting around and see when this baby's going to come. See, I'm all about not like I have to know the sex of the child. Like, we yeah, found out what we're having like a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, yeah. I'm 21 weeks. Like, it took long enough to find out. Yeah, but when it came to like delivery, I liked the element of surprise. Like with Ezra, I didn't expect to deliver full well, month was, early. Yeah, full on surprise. But with Brody, like at 36 weeks, I was ready, and then it was like another week, and then another week, and then another week. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I really have no idea, but then I just kept getting a manicure. I kept like washing my hair, like getting everything ready. Yeah. But what's interesting is with both kids, I had like very similar symptoms, which was I lost my mucus plug, mm-hmm. like full on fell out. And like with Ezra, it was just a big chunk, with Brody, it was little pieces. And with each of them on the day that I delivered, I had horrible pre-labor runs, like almost like yep. poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. And I also was like, oh, this baby is coming. Like with Brody, like I have the same runs that I, and I have in the beginning of the pregnancy and yeah. at the end of the pregnancy. Um, but fortunately I never pooped on the bed because during delivery, cause I just get it all out that day. <laughs> that's, that's very common. And that's what I tell people too, at the end, look out for those late, you called, you said the right, you use the right term labor runs. Um, but diarrhea is definitely a very, very common symptom for so many moms to have right before they go into labor, because it is like your body kind of naturally gives itself a laxative because it, it knows that something big's about, about to go through there. So might as well. Make some extra room. <laughs> I also think my body is like, you're not going to be able to poo for a few days. So like, yeah. I'm go out with a bang and like, <laughs> yeah, really give you one that's satisfying. Yeah. Before yep. the C section, the nurse, like, I was hooked up to the IV, everything. And I said to the nurse, like, I have to go to the bathroom. And she's like, you can't go to the bathroom. And I was like, my baby is breached and stuck in my rib cage, like, with Ezra. I was like, I, I'm going to shit on this bed. Like, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and he held the IV for me so I could go. But like, I get like, 
horrible, horrible, like pre-labor. Like my stomach's just a disaster. Yeah. Um, but it's so wild how my friends are like, I never had that. Or like their water never broke. My water busted for each baby. Yeah. I think it's something like I can blame like TV and movies where we all think that like your water is going to break, but it's not the case for everyone. Sometimes you have no idea. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, I think I just looked it up the other day. I believe it's actually one in 10 moms break their water before labor starts, not like during labor, but we, there's, it's called prom, premature rupture of membranes. So there, the, yeah, your, your water will break and then, you know, you'll start contractions. Usually it happens where you start contractions and then your water breaks later, or maybe your provider breaks it, you know, at the hospital you know, during labor to speed things up. But yeah, it's actually, you know, rare to break your water, uh, even before you're, you're in labor. I, I, with my sec, with both of mine, the doctor broke my water both times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With Ezra, that was my first, like it was mucus plug a couple. And then a couple later, I felt like a cork of champagne just like popped out of my uterus. And I was like, yeah, he's coming. So what are some like exercises or like pelvic floor things that you could do to prepare for like an easier delivery? Yeah. So I love sending people to, it's a website called Spinning Babies. They have a great, yeah, they have a great little video series. I'm forgetting the the specific name of it now, but it's something like daily, daily movements or, or something. And I, I did those, uh, during my, my, during my second pregnancy. And it's a lot of like hip openers. It's a lot of like butterfly. You know, you sit on the ground and butterfly. It's a lot of things to just kind of like relax your hips and your pelvis before birth. Sitting on the birth ball ball is a really, really great thing to do. Doing, doing cat cows. So, you know, in like a crawling position and kind of like doing cat cows is a really, really good thing to do. I mean, really exercise in general. So next, I want to talk a little bit more about C-sections and VBACs. So I feel like C-sections have a really like negative connotation to some people where like my mom had two C-sections. I like thought I was going to deliver like vaginally with my first. I ended up having one. But a lot of times women get like very nervous. It's like a huge yeah. surgery, which I never viewed. I like I still was like, oh, I'd say everything will be fine. I was like showering the next day and blow drying my hair in the hospital. I was knock on wood, very fortunate. Yeah. Do you have any tips or like words of wisdom about C-sections that could like kind of like help ease the nerves for some for some moms? Yeah. So, yeah. So first of all, if you are scheduled for a C-section and let's say you're a first time mom, that C-section is much, much different than having an emergent C-section. Typically, you come in, it's a pretty routine process, unless for some reason you get there and and something crazy happens and we have to run you back. Um, a scheduled C-section for us usually is relaxed. You get there a few hours before. We put your IV in. We draw some labs. You talk to the doctor. We put you on the monitor. You drink this little... You have to drink like some Powerade kind of stuff for your stomach. Yeah, it is like, well, I mean, you know, in in a (laughs) sense, but no, it's not, we don't have like the little cucumbers to put on your eyes or anything, (laughs) but I should, I know I should, I should bring that up. Um, But no, it's pretty relaxed. You know, the doctor comes in and talks to you about the procedure and anesthesia will come in and talk to you. You know, the crappy things is you can't eat, you know, for a certain time frame before you have 
Your C-section, yeah. So it's usually fine for moms who have those early morning C-sections at 8 a.m., but not so great for our scheduled C-sections that are like at 2 p.m. So a lot of times you'll ha- we'll have moms come in. They're like, can we just go already? Because I'm like... I just want to get, I just want to have my C-section so I can get my ice chips and I can do my spray and then I can get something in my stomach. Um, you can eat because like, like I had an yeah. emergency C-section. Yes. Like I ate. And Much I, different. Yeah. And then I couldn't eat for like six hours after. And I, I actually did eat and like no one knew because I was like, I'm yeah. starving. Yeah. Like, what I'm sure there's very valid reasons why. But like, what are some of the reasons why you can't eat before? Yeah. You broke the rules, Rachel. You're going to get, yeah. (laughs) No, it's okay. Yeah. So, so the reason we like to have nothing on your stomach beforehand, before your C-section is for the same reason why they have you not have any, anything on your stomach for like any sort of surgery that you have. Um, even though most scheduled C-sections will do a spinal, which is similar to an epidural, I'm sure you, Remember that they just give you a little shot in your back and your legs go like completely numb pretty quickly, but you're awake for it. So most often, you know, there's there's no issues and, and and no complications. But sometimes what happens is maybe that procedure doesn't work and they have to put you under general anesthesia. And the thing that we like to avoid is if you have stum- if you have food on your stomach and you have general anesthesia, there's a higher chance that you could vomit up that food and, and breathe it in into your lungs and get this yucky infection that we don't want anybody to have to deal with. <laughs> so that's really the main reason the, uh, the anesthesia th- or the medications that they give you during your C-section, if you get a spinal, like some of the blood pressure medications can cause some uh, vomiting as well. So it's just, you know, n- not so great to vomit up if you just had like a cheeseburger. Um, it's kind of a, just a little, you know, it's a little easier if it's a little easier on your stomach if it's empty or you just, you know, have ice chips in it. So that's kind of the main reason beforehand. Now, afterwards, if now did if you I don't know what you ate, but when you were eating your food afterwards, did you throw up or anything after that? No, no, you were fine. I, it was like three o'clock in the morning. Like yeah. I was up, like I didn't sleep. I was just so hungry. Yeah. A perfect bar, like a chocolate peanut butter perfect bar. Yeah. Um, but I remember saying to Jordan, like, I'm not going to make it a few more hours. I can yeah. see stars. Yeah. So yeah. I felt fine. And I was like, if I'm vomit, at least like I felt good for the few minutes beforehand. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And that's that's really the criteria. So what we what we usually do with our C-section moms, if they have a spinal, there weren't weren't any complications. We'll start you off with some ice chips. Make sure you're tolerating those. You're not vomiting up, you know, those. If you're tolerating those, we can give you some clear liquids, some Sprite, ginger ale, you know, like water to drink. Um, And then if you're doing okay with that, you're not throwing that up, then we can move on to solid foods. So it sounds like, I mean, if you ate your solid food and you tolerated it fine, then like, who cares if it was six hours or if it was three hours, you know? I think I learned that I just don't throw, I really don't throw up ever. Like even when I was nauseous in pregnancy, like I wish yeah. I could, it would like clear my system, but I'm yeah. just a So yeah. I don't know. Like, That's I'm, good. Puking's like, not fun. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. Like your bowel movement after it? Don't you have to, like, have to poop before you leave the hospital? No, no, that is a myth. Yeah. That used to, that used to be the case, but no, that, that they'll let you go home. If you uh-huh. really, oh my God, yeah. I took the poop so seriously at the hospital that I, yeah. yeah. Every time the nurses or the doctor would come in, they'd be like, 
did you did you poop? Did you poop? How was it? Did you poop? That's mm-hmm. funny. No, I mean, I'm sh- maybe some practices are more concerned about it than others, but at our hospital, I mean, as long as you have bowel sounds, like listen with your with our stethoscope and you have little bowel sounds, you're okay and you're not having severe abdominal pain or anything cuz I mean, especially with our C-section moms, you usually get narcotics afterwards um cuz you're, you know, in quite a bit of pain and that can delay the the pooping process quite a bit. So sometimes, yeah, we don't have moms poop before they before they leave the hospital. That's that's definitely a something that they that they used to require but but not so much um anymore. I will say though regarding if mo- uh, um going back to the first question about about C-sections and and words of advice, I very often hear moms say that if they had an emergency, especially if they had an emergency C-section, it was unexpected that they feel like their body failed them, you know, and they feel really, really awful because, you know, maybe they were in labor for this amount of time or they were pushing for a really, really long time. And then they ended up having a C-section. Um, and, and while that is very, very common to feel and it is OK to feel that way. Um, your body certainly did did not fail you. Something, your baby, th- this is your first uh, indication that, hey, you're not the one calling the shots. Your baby yeah. is. <laughs> and sometimes things have to happen, you know, a different way. But yeah, it can be really, really hard on C-section moms, especially when they had one expectation of how their birth was going to go and then another thing happens. And that's not just just to say for, you know, if you had a C-section, maybe you were planning on going unmedicated and you ended up changing your mind and getting an epidural. You can still have those same feelings of like, well, what if I did this? Or like, oh, I feel like a failure, this, that, and the other. And I always say, you know, it's okay. It's valid. It's okay to have those feelings. And it's common. A lot of people feel that way. Um, therapy is a great thing to invest, invest uh, after you give birth, because talking through those types of feelings with somebody who's uh, uh, trained, especially a th- finding a therapist who has experience with moms and, you know, um, perinatal therapy, postpartum therapy. There are certain therapists that you can search on like psychologytoday.com and find therapists who are like specifically, specifically talk to moms about birth trauma, you know, PTSD, that this, that, and the other. Um, but sorting through those feelings, as soon as possible after birth can really, really serve a lot, a lot of benefit because I see so many moms initially, yes, having those feelings, but then carrying it so long through their motherhood journey and it affects so many things. So if you're feeling that way, it's okay. It's valid. Um, but definitely reach out to and speak to somebody who's, who's trained in, in, you know, helping, helping you with those feelings. That's why sometimes when people talk about a birth plan, I'm just like, why yeah. are you writing a birth plan? You have no control over like majority of what you're about to do. And like, even when we went for my first OB appointment for this pregnancy, my doctor's like, so are you going to do a C-section you think, or try do another VBAC? I'm like, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Whatever the baby needs, I'll do. Like if they're breached, got from with the cords wrapped around them, of course I'll do a C-section. Like right. my C-section was great. Do I think it's going to be harder to recover a second time? Yeah. But I'm just, I try and go with the flow, which is not my personality, but like I've learned from labor yeah. delivery and motherhood that you can't control this. Like you have to just kind of go with what the baby needs. Yeah. Yeah, with, yeah. With our first pregnancy, we definitely tried to have some sort of like loose plan, but Rachel's doctor did like a great job, like explaining to her, like, you know, 
we're happy to go through your plan and talk about it. But like, listen, like when the baby's coming, like, you know, the baby's going to come and come in its own way. So in my plan, it was just my random request. Like don't give them a bath ASAP, like skin to skin, like yeah. random, like things that are majority, like in your control as much, like, unless like God forbid, there's, there's a unforeseen issue, but just things like you can do. What are some of your tips for C-section recovery or like things you could pack with you or ask for at the hospital to make the recovery a little bit easier? Yeah. So a good thing to pack with you if you know you're having a C-section. Now, some people don't know and they have unexpected C-sections, but they have these really, really high-waisted panties uh, called, I think it's C-panty. There's a few different brands, but the the higher, the better (laughs) Um, because you really don't want anything touching that C-section scar. It can be really, really tender. If you remember, um, it can be really, really tender and painful even for, for a lot of moms. So kind of the higher, the better. Those high-waisted undies are great. Uh, another good tip at the hospital and even at home too is taking ice and putting ice on your C-section incision. Don't keep it there for very long because we don't like moist things near an incision, right? Um, but just for pain purposes, keeping it, th- keeping ice on your incision is a good one. Um, definitely staying on top of your pain medications. So if you've went home with narcotics, sometimes they'll write C-section moms, um, a narcotic prescription, if not doing Tylenol and ibuprofen around the clock and also giving yourself a lot of grace. So with a C-section, you know, they cut into your, into your abdomen, which is you use that muscle for a lot of things, laughing, bending down, you know, breathing, um, sneezing, coughing. So if you know that you're about to sneeze or you know you're about to cough or you're about to laugh, take a little pillow or take anything, a little towel, and just kind of hold that pillow or that towel against your your C-section scar and then cough or and then sneeze or and then laugh because it just kind of gives a little bit of extra pressure. Because if you don't have that support, it can just hurt a lot, lot more um, when you're when you're using your abs. Um, another thing, another good tip at home is going, if you have stairs, going up the stairs backwards is a good tip because it's like that drop from the stairs can be really bothersome for for your abs. So going up the stairs backwards, now it's a little harder to go down backwards, but if you have yeah. a banister, hold on. Um, but But that drop and like that motion of going up the stairs can be like it, it uses it uses your abs in a way that you don't even think it uses your abs but going up backwards and going down very carefully <laughs> backwards um is a good tip and then also if you have a big uh bed so if your bed is pretty high off the ground having some sort of like step stool or step to kind of get off of the bed because that can also be a big dramatic like oh it's really hard to get off you know to get off of the bed and gosh having a lot of help at home is so so important you know if you have a vaginal delivery or if you have a c-section but especially my c-section moms make sure you have ample support at home whether it's your partner whether it's family coming in because you're just going to be a little bit, things are going to be just a little bit harder for you. Now, you know, you, you'll heal just like just like anybody else, but it'll just take, usually just takes a little bit longer than if you have a vaginal delivery. What if it's like your second or third C-section? Is there anything else you should kind of like keep in mind or like do to like, I guess, make it a little bit of like an easier, like if I have a second C-section, I feel like I'm not going to have as seamless of a recovery as I did. It's going to be a little bit more intense. 
but is there anything else that you can do that's like different than if it's your first one? Usually the recommendations are the same, but I would say I would I would say it might be just as easy, but it might not because you have other children too. <laughs> so sometimes that part of it makes it a little bit harder. But it also might be easier for some moms. Let's say you had a really crappy recovery with your first one because you just didn't even know what to expect. And this is just all brand new. With your second C-section, it might be a lot easier because you know, oh, wait a second. I got these these pair of underwears with my first one and I hated those, but I actually really, really like these. So let me go ahead and order these or let me do, you know, let me now I know to keep on top of my my pain medication. Now I know, you know, to keep that step stool by my bed, it's not as much of a learning process the second time. So I I see oftentimes that it's easier just because you've been through it once before. But in a way, hey, you got other kids that you have to tend to. And sometimes that they they put a whole lot of pressure on your abdomen, (laughs) on your abdomen, on your ab muscles. So (laughs) might be a little harder in that sense. What are your that's real common. Yeah. What are your thoughts on when moms want to have multiple C-sections? Like I have a friend who's pregnant with her second and she had a C-section for her first. So she's like requesting one for the second yeah. one, but she wants three to four kids. Like, do you recommend kind of going in with a more open mind? Or it's like if you know you want it, then like go with what your gut's telling you as long as your doctor approves of it? Or is it kind of like the more C-sections you have, the harder the recovery could be? So that 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 statement um, isn't necessarily true. I would say it it's so individualized. So we can have some moms. Some moms can have one C-section, and it your doctor will say, "Hey, we had there was a lot of complications. Um, if if you know it, it's okay, you know if you want to have another baby, okay, you have another baby. But there there were a lot of these these complications. So two C-sections might be, you know, your limit per se." Now, other moms might have four, five, I mean, I've said six C-sections and no complications. Yeah, yeah, no complications. I mean, you know, your your risks of, let's say, uh, your placenta. So the more C-sections you have, your risk for like your surgery going longer, your risk for getting pregnant is, is usually a little bit harder because you have that scar tissue and some, you know, Sometimes you can have uh, issues with your placenta. So you have, so, you know, when you have a C-section, they cut your uterus. And then when you get pregnant again, your placenta has a higher likelihood of attaching onto that site where that uterine scar was. And sometimes there can be complications with that where your placenta can grow outside of your uterus. So the more C-sections you have, the higher risks you do have but in a sense, like we have some moms who have two C two C sections, and they have all these complications. And then some moms they have C sec they have six C sections or five C sections, and they have all all these complications. So it's really super individualized. I would definitely talk to your provider um, about risks versus benefits. I will say just as a you know just as a fact that uh, a vaginal delivery outweighs a C-section it, more case, more cases than not. Obviously, if you have certain things going on, like your placentas over your cervix or your baby is transverse or something, you like you have to have a C-section for that sort of medical reason. But if you're just toying with the idea, like, should I have a vaginal delivery? Should I have a C-section? Generally, 
a vaginal delivery outweighs a C-section more times than not because your recovery is generally quicker. Um, your hospital stay is shorter. But again, I have some moms who they have one C-section and it was this. Ha- this happens all the time. I have one. Some moms, they'll have one C-section. It's this crazy emergency. And they're like, I just I don't even want to think about having a vaginal delivery and having those what ifs. Like, I just want to schedule my C-section and be done with it. And then their scheduled C-section, you know, is super like they're like, oh, this was so great. It was an emergency the, the last time. But this time it's a scheduled C-section and, you know, it, it kind of heals that first process. In a lot of ways, a vaginal delivery can do that, too. Um, but, yeah, it's that's it. That's a long way of saying it's super individualized and kind of everybody's different. But chat with your provider about <laughs> about your situation. I actually love your response because it's like very comforting too um, for women who do need multiple ones and maybe they yeah. don't like that they do or some just feel comforted now in having one or anything. That was a really great response that will make a lot of women feel like more comforted and, and secure. Yeah. What, and what are your thoughts on a VBAC after a C-section? Like how, what makes someone a good candidate for that? Yeah. So actually about 90% of moms who have had a C-section before are at least candidates for having a VBAC, okay? But that doesn't mean that they're gonna, that all 90% of those people are gonna be successful in having a VBAC. I think it's somewhere around like 60, 60 some percent, 66 or 67% of moms who attempt VBAC um, will be successful. Now, if you're, just because you're a candidate doesn't mean it's a good idea to have a VBAC, right? So maybe you don't have any medical indications that, you know, would, it's, it's clear that you need to have a C-section, but you've had, you know, two C-sections before and you, um, like I was saying before, you're the kind of person that you want the, you know, you had an emergency the first time and you want the second one to be a little bit, you know, more calm and scheduled. Um, but yeah, VBAC is one of those things that it's great. Um, super pro VBAC. But if you are looking to have a VBAC, really the most important thing to consider is who is caring for you. So we have some providers who are, who are super VBAC friendly and they, you know, you, they deliver at hospitals who have anesthesia on on um, they're not on call. They're in hospital. So if an, if a C-section is you know, needed right away. It's right. You know, anesthesia is right there. You don't have to call them from home. Um, they kind of let you do whatever you want to do. They're not saying if you want a VBAC, you have to get induced by this point. If you have to get an epidural, you have to do this, that, and the other. Um, I mean, there are certainly some providers who are saying, you know, abs- you know, they don't, they don't even, we can't even do VBACs because of the hospital that I work at or the resources available. Um, so it's really, really important to find a provider who is what we call VBAC friendly. So if you're the kind of mom that, hey, you have a C-section, but I'm kind of interested in having a VBAC, do your research. Start asking around saying, hey, maybe you have some friends who have had VBACs or maybe, you know, you have friends who like their providers. Start doing some research. It's okay to interview a few providers in your area and say, hey, like, what are your thoughts on this? What are your VBAC rates? It's okay, you know, to ask those questions. Um, But yeah, your provider makes a huge, huge difference in terms of your VBAC, your VBAC success rate. 
Yeah. My doctor is like not a fan of C-sections. Like she obviously does them and does yeah. them beautifully. But when I, when she stitched me up, she's like, all right, for your next one, we're doing a VBAC. Like she like knew that in there, like as long as the baby was in prime position. Yeah. Cedric, she's like, you, you really, I'd really advocate for you to do this. And then my good friend who's pregnant with her second, her doctor's like, no, we're not doing it. You're, you already had a C-section. Now we're doing C-sections. Yeah. See, and it's kind of like, I need another opinion though. Cause she's like, why am I like pigeonholing myself? Yeah. But my C- my doctor is like one of the lowest C-section rates Great. So in New Jersey. Um, but I definitely liked having like the option. So that way it's kind of like whatever I felt right for the baby and I was like mm-hmm. what we uh what we went with. Yeah, I mean Brody was just in such a great position. It's like why not give it a whirl? Your doctor yeah. there'd be any reason not to. But my recovery from my V back was a hundred times worse than my C Really? In what way? <sighs> oh my god, well we might need another episode. <laughs> <laughs> I had really bad hemorrhoids. Yeah. Like my, my butt was like a mushroom farm. Yeah. It was so bad. I couldn't sit yeah. like straight. Like I actually was sitting out. I, I couldn't sit like this for like three weeks. Oh. And you know, it's like as a new mom, like you're nursing, like I'm trying, I couldn't sit down. I had tearing that was really bad. Just, I think from like my laboring, it just was a lot more painful. I bled longer. I was in, yeah, just in diapers. It was just more intense. And I felt like with my C-section, it was a lot easier for me to recover. Yeah. Um, afterwards, the hemorrhoids were just horrible. Yeah, they're they're not so fun. <laughs> yeah. To prevent hemorrhoids from happening. Like, is it possible to prevent hemorrhoids? Like, what can I do this time? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. Um, or sometimes they're still going to happen, but they're, you know, you can treat them pretty quickly. Do you remember what ended up helping that like just time passed or did you do something yeah just time and I had like the ice packet yeah a lot up there I I was every morning I'm such a nighttime shower but after having Brody yeah. I showered every single morning I'm just touch my toes and like let the water yeah <laughs> through my butt because yeah it felt like such relief um and then just time I had all the like some ointments and stuff from the hospital and I Anything that I was told to do, I was open. The tux and yeah. But it's like, you know, I, I was so dramatic at first. I'm like, what if I have to get the surgery? And then like three weeks yeah. and they were like clearing, which was nice. That's good. Yeah. That's usually what happens. And they're not so fun to deal with. Another thing that I tell moms to do too is if they are super crazy painful, there is a prescription suppository that they can send out for you. I think it's called Anucort. Um, and it's like a steroid uh, suppository. So if for some reason you're like, I can't deal with this, it is okay to call your provider. Like, don't feel like you have to just, this is just, this is just what I, what I have to do. You know, I just have, it's all, there's always usually something like, okay, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Obviously, sometimes it's like, okay, t- it's just going to take time to heal. Um, but yeah, lots of tucks, lots of, uh, I like to tell people about sits baths too. If you have those little, it's like a little, uh, insert that you can put over your toilet and you put like warm water and like Epsom salt in it and you can just kind of sit in the little sits bath and it just feels really, really good. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but it feels great. Uh, and it just helps with clean, you know, cleaning and stuff too. Yeah. But yeah, the, the tucks are great. The sits baths are great. The um, padsicles are great. It sounds like you made some of those. Yeah. And then for some reason, if you're like, I can't, this is too much, reach out for, to your provider and they might be able to write you a prescription for something. 
Okay. Fingers crossed. I don't know. Fingers crossed. Yeah. There, um, there's nothing to do like during birth that really can stop it. Not really. Yeah. All the pressure I had from laboring. Yeah. It's get, It's either going to happen or it's, or it's not going to happen. Yeah. You don't want to like, I don't want to push as hard because I'm worried about, right? You know, it's like, okay, you have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think also when it's the second or third time, like, you know, you're going to get through it. So it yeah. doesn't, it's not, it's like you see the light at the end of the tunnel, almost how like sleep training isn't as bad. Yeah. Like newborn yeah. stage, like, you know, it's going to get going to get better. Hopefully, I guess, I guess I'll right. see in a few months. <laughs> uh, what about vaginal tearing? Is there anything you can do to prevent that from like being severe or just kind of like it's out of your control? You're just, you're just gonna just tear, you know, no matter what you do. No, I mean, in, in some cases, yes, you know, sometimes we'll have moms who they, you know, they have to have forceps or they, or sometimes the, their babies will come out and their hand is kind of over their head and no matter if they did all the things they did, you know, the perineal um, massage, they did the the warm compress, they did all these things, you might still have a tear. What I like to tell people is that it's tearing is very, very common. So about 80 something percent, I don't remember the exact percentage, but 80 something percent of moms, first time moms will tear uh, during birth. And it's actually you think that if you tore the first time, you're more likely to tear the second time, but it's actually the opposite. So you're more likely to tear. Yeah, you're more likely to tear with your first vaginal birth because nothing's ever that big <laughs> been through that passageway before. Right. <laughs> so so the second time you're less likely to tear because your body's done that before and you still very, you know, you still might tear. But your body's done that before. So it's you're just like less likely, you know, kind of the more babies that you have now. Things to do to prevent tearing. There are a few evidence-based things that you can do. So giving birth in um, different positions. So giving birth, like pushing on your side versus on your back is supposed to be helpful for tearing. If you're pushing squatting, though, that's actually supposed to increase tearing because if you think about gravity, that baby pushing down. Um, laboring in the tub, water birth is uh, supposed to reduce tearing. And there's this thing called perineal massage, which you can do, I think, starting at 36 weeks. Don't quote me, but I think it's starting at 36 weeks. You can do some massage and you just take a little bit of doesn't matter what kind of what kind of oil, but some kind of lubrication. And you just kind of take your fingers and put your fingers inside your vagina and just kind of push down. You know, you don't want to push down so hard that it, you're like screaming in pain, but you're just kind of gently, you know, t- pushing on those muscles and that opening to kind of get your warming up a bit. Warming up, we're warming up the we're warming up the process, right? Um, and the evidence shows actually that you don't want to do it every single day. The best frequency to do it is about one to two times a week, starting at 36 weeks. So that's something that I like to pe- tell people because it's like, okay, I feel like I'm actually doing something to help, right? Okay, let me do this perineal massage, you know? Um, and another thing that can help prevent tearing is this thing called, um, uh, using a warm compress uh, while you're pushing. So if uh, I can, you know, your nurse can do this, your doula, anybody can do this during birth. Now, if you only push for 10 minutes like you did, it, it prop, there's not too much time to do it. But if you're the kind of person that you're maybe you're pushing for a few hours, you get that, uh, get like a basin of water with nice hot, warm water and put a washcloth 
in it and then take that and put that on your perineum kind of in between your pushes. And that will help uh, dilate those those blood vessels down there and help with tearing. That's a really good tip. Both of them are really good. Yeah. I was just pounding dates like to prepare for labor. Like, yeah, dates. dates. (laughs) Yeah, dates are good too. Dates won't do, I don't think dates. Yeah, dates, I don't think anything to do with tearing, but dates are good too. Perinatal massage is like something you can do like the last few weeks. Like nothing was in my mind for the last few weeks besides eating dates. Right. Oh, oh. Like, that was it. And I had gestational, just gestational diet. Oh, yeah. So I was like looking for any excuse to eat dates. Um, That's funny. <laughs> now to transition a bit into when you're like packing up to go to the hospital, I feel like a lot of times people are bringing like a big suitcase filled with stuff that they really don't need. What are things that you should bring from your house? Yeah. So, you know, you can Google the hospital bag checklist. You'll probably get a, a bunch of different ones. We have one on our website, the the uh, our mommy labor nurse one. And I tried to keep it minimal. You want a few, you know, p- pairs of nice, comfy pajamas, right, to use afterwards. If you're planning on breastfeeding, I always tell people to to take things that open in the front, like a zipper. Or to get, you know, PJ tops that have the buttons that open in the front instead of getting like big T-shirts. Because especially if you're breastfeeding for the first time, it's a lot easier to just zip open and breastfeed instead of like holding up your shirt and what do I do with it, you know. So definitely shirts that open in the front, okay, whether it's pajamas or, you know, a little zip, little zip jacket or something. Nursing bras are great too for breastfeeding moms. Uh, those little tank, you know, little tank tops, the nursing tank tops. Um, a breastfeeding pillow is a great thing to bring to the hospital too. They do have pillows that you can use for support, but getting used to using a breastfeeding pillow, uh, especially in the hospital where you don't have your own pillows, um, is, is a great thing to have. And then I always tell people too to bring your own pillow. So, the pillows usually at the hospital are not so comfortable. And if you're like me, I like, I love my pillow. <laughs> I feel like I sleep so good with my pillow. So I always tell moms, you know, if you remember right before you leave, grab your pillow. It's not the kind of thing that you can like pack in your suitcase, right? But you can grab kind of, kind of on your way out. That's just one thing that you can do just to kind of make your experience a little bit more comfortable. Um, and then this is a good tip I just heard a few months ago. If you are trying to go unmedicated, bring uh, an eye, like a, um, what are they called? An eye, not an eye patch. I'm going to think about pirate, but a, um, what are they called? Sleeping eye mask? Yeah, sleeping eye mask to wear that in the hospital. Okay, it's good to wear in the hospital if you're trying to go unmedicated because sometimes things are just, you get like this sensory overload. So if you have this eye mask on, there's no bright lights that you have to worry about. There's you know, you you can just kind of get in your zone. So an eye mask is good. And then bringing uh, earplugs is good as well. So that's good for my unmedicated moms during birth. And then those two things are also good that I tell everybody to bring for sleeping afterwards in the hospital, because it can be really, really loud <laughs> in the hospital and they're opening and closing doors. So anything to help you sleep better, little earplugs, um, you can usually still, you know, don't put your AirPods on like noise cancellation, but if you have little earplugs. You can still usually hear your baby if you know you need to tend to your baby, but a sleeping mask is great. And then another really, really great thing is if you have like a little portable sound machine, you can get them off of Amazon. That's a really great thing to pack in your bag because that 
helps with the noise tremendously (laughs) in the room. And it also, babies love that white noise. So it'll get them kind of used to, oh, okay, this is, this is white noise. (laughs) This is what I'm supposed to be sleeping to. It's so loud in the hospital. Like I remember I said to the nurses, like, please don't come in my room unless I need my medicine. Like I'm yeah. the door shut and the lights are off. And it is okay. Yes. Do not check on me. Like, yes, it's okay to say that too. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point to just be like, Hey, just stay out. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for taking care of me. But like, don't wake me up unless it's like really, 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 really important. Yeah. I'm also like, I'm not in pain. Like I'll let you know when I need the medicine. Like, right. Give me like right. three hours so I can, right. uh, Rest. And then what else, what should you take from the hospital? Like I am a hoarder. Sorry, this yeah. is, but I take so many diapers. I took everything. For, That's okay. Yeah. For myself. So like, what are like the top things to take? Yeah. So exactly what you said, diapers. Sometimes hospitals are doing the, the diapers instead of like the mesh panties. But if they have, you know, the depends, take depends with you. So you don't have to buy them. Take those mesh panties if they have the mesh panties. Yeah. Take the um the little squirt bottle that they give you. Take that. Um, they usually will give you a tub of tux pads, but if they don't, you can try and request like a little uh, tux pad, a uh, little tub of those. So you don't have to buy those. Usually, most hospitals will give you something called Dermaplast spray, which is like a numbing spray that you can use. He's like shaking his head. Yeah, I remember that stuff. We have it in our first aid. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So take some of that from the hospital. That's okay. And then uh, usually, most hospitals will give you diapers. You can say, "Hey, can I get a few? Can I get an extra pack of diapers?" And they'll say, "Yeah, no problem. Send you home with some diapers. If you want a few extra baby blankets, take some extra baby blankets." And another thing, too, is if you're having trouble with breastfeeding, let's say you have inverted nipples, they usually have nipple shields that you can take. So any sort of like breastfeeding supplies like that, like the, they have little shells that you can have, um, little nipple shields, ask, say, hey, what you got? What can I what can I take with me? <laughs> the, those mesh underwear, like I would wear them every day now. Oh, I agree. I love them. You can't buy them anywhere. No, you can't. I should yeah. get them and sell them on eBay. I'm just kidding. But they're <laughs> phenomenal. I lived in those for like Yeah, you weeks. love those. Things. They were yeah. so good. Yeah, they're um, great. Lisa, you're amazing. This was the most informative, informative episode. I think it's going to be really helpful for listeners to hear all of your words of wisdom and tips and all the things. And I'd love for you to share where everyone could follow you because they're going to get lost in your content like I do, where I just like go from one to the next next and like absorb everything. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, Rachel. So you can find me and Betty listening can find me at mommy. If you just Google mommy labor nurse, you can probably find everything. But I'm mommy.labornurse on Instagram. And that's where I generally hang out the most. I do like a QA and a in my stories on Sundays. And every day I post either a reel or, you know, a regular post. I'm pretty much in my story every single day doing some sort of education or being relatable or just talking on there (laughs) about my life or anything about my two boys that I have. Um, So Instagram and then the podcast. I also have a podcast. It's just the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast. Our website is mommylabornurse.com. And that is also where our birth our online birth classes are at. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me.